0: Today we are kicking off this um, focus of gospel renewal for the nations uh, for the month of February, missions awareness month. And we started off this morning at nine thirty in the um, one of the um, side classrooms that Dr. Sam Larson taught uh, on a subject matter he'll be teaching throughout this month. Uh, and if you missed it this morning, I know twenty five of you were there or so, and hopefully. Many of you just couldn't make it today, but would like to come next Sunday at 9.30. Uh, and he, he's training and equipping us regarding uh, Islam and the Muslim faith and how to understand it more from our perspective here in the Western culture, and then to engage those around us here in the U.S. that live and work with us, that we might speak to them and understand more of where they're coming from and how we might bring the good news of Christ to them. So I encourage you to come Sundays at 9.30 for the next three weeks uh, here for that special equipping and training time uh, by Dr. Sam Larson. We are looking at the New Testament passage in 1 Corinthians today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Also, there's the text written in your worship bulletin. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Let's pray. Father, just as your servant wrote those words by your Holy Spirit, we also ask that you would demonstrate your Holy Spirit power. You would provide for us by the power of your Spirit greater, more deeper understanding of what it means to know you and to worship you, to give our hearts fully to you. What that means for us in every aspect of our life. Help us to understand the most important thing that you have given us. The most important thing that really, truly matters today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned with the youth, as they gather tonight, there's a uh, a little game called the Super Bowl. It starts uh, somewhere around six or so. And this evening, I think they're estimating over 100 million people are going to be viewing this game. It's amazing. Almost one out of every three people in the United States will be somehow seeing some part of this particular football game. Well, my background was in that particular sport up through college and I played several positions learning the sport all the way through elementary and the middle school and high school and so forth and into college. But one position that I seemed to land on, on the defensive side of the football, was a position called free safety. And that may not mean anything to some of you, but it's basically a position where you're on the defensive team. You're trying to prevent the other team from scoring across your goal line. And the free safety is the one who's in the very very back oh about 10 or 15 yards away from all the action going up front and there's one absolutely one job that the free safety is always cardinal rule supposed to remember no one gets behind you no one And that's the only rule I had to remember when I played that particular position. There's a lot of other things, but that was the number one thing. Nothing else mattered to a free safety playing that position except this one thing. Don't let anyone ever get behind you, because if so, it's over. You're the last line of defense. So only only one thing mattered to me playing that position is that wherever I was, from sideline to sideline, from goal to goal, I was the last person between that football and my goal line. And that's the only thing that mattered to me. You know, simply put, sometimes in our lives, we have to kind of cast aside and work through all of the distractions. And there are many, are there not, every day? Distractions in our lives, things that pull us left and right, to and fro, cast us in all types of. uh, distracting places and positions, and yet we lose focus on what truly matters. We we forget so easily and so quickly what really truly matters. Today, the Apostle Paul penned these words in the first five verses of chapter. 2 Corinthians, and as he wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, he helps them and he helps us focus on what really, truly matters. Um, We're focusing out of our even five-verse text on one particular statement, verse 2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Our outline, as you see there, is simply the text broken into three focus points. And so that's where we are, looking at verse 2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The first Part of the sentence, for I resolved to know nothing. It might seem at first glance, when the apostle pins these first words of this statement, that he might be somewhat simplistic, or maybe anti intellectual, or even anti doctrinal, because he seems just to throw everything else aside, and it might seem to some that Paul is advocating a non intellectual, very simplistic faith. And that doesn't seem like maybe the Paul who has written many other parts of the New Testament where he says other things. And so, of course, we have to consider what he's saying in context and not to be too hasty or we might be misinformed as to what Paul is saying, actually. Paul himself received extensive training throughout his life, education in Jerusalem and so forth. As he was raised in the Jewish culture, as he mentions in Philippians, he was a zealot. He knew the law better than anyone else. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was educated in many ways. He understood uh, intellect in a very significant manner, and he grew in his training each year and each day of his life, I'm sure. He was well-read. He understood many of not just the Jewish culture, but also the Hellenistic culture. And Paul himself was very aware of the Greek quest for knowledge and wisdom and what that meant. We see in Acts chapter 17, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, it says, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. He reasoned. To reason, you must understand how to argue, how to discuss, how to interact with ideas and conceptions and, and thoughts in an educated manner. That's what Paul did. He knew how to do this. So certainly when he says, for I resolve to know nothing, he was not saying, he is not saying, you need not know anything else, absolutely not one other thing. That's not what he's exactly saying here. In fact, throughout church history, and those of you who are church history buffs or just history buffs, we can see and understand throughout History. Many cults, factions, heresies, religious movements have even been founded on erroneous beliefs and convictions that stray far away from sound doctrine from the Word of God, from truth as God has revealed it to us. Throughout the history of the world and the church, we see how these things have been erroneous from the true message of the gospel. We know that teaching sound doctrine and the deeper truths of the gospel are a passion of Paul, even himself. And in fact, in this very same letter, if you just go over a few more verses to chapter 3, you see how Paul will even rebuke a little bit his audience for their spiritual immaturity because they're not digging deeper and going further in their understanding of sound doctrine and truth. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not re- yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. Therefore, exhorting them, they need to go further with their understanding of the gospel, to continue to grow and to mature. So, certainly, Paul is not advocating just a simplistic non-depth education of the gospel of sound doctrine half the new testament itself is paul's personal autograph as it were of sound doctrine we have it there in our own hands in fact time and time again from the early church and the councils we see all the way to today's evangelical movements It has been doctrinal purity that has significantly helped reform the church time and time again. The church is always reforming and needs to be always reforming, always. For those who may say, oh, I'm reformed in my faith, that means, I hope you understand, if you're truly reformed, you're always reforming, continually growing and understanding and applying and seeking to move forward. Knowing doctrine is very important and useful for deepening one's faith. If I were to ask some of you, or all of you sitting here, so how much, how much do you really enjoy regarding seeking sound doctrine? How many of you would understand the study of epistemology? or possibly the study of ecclesiology, or eschatology, or soteriology, or pneumatology. These type of ologies. How many of you have studied those type of doctrines? Maybe some of you have, and as I said those words, you're like, oh, that's a great one to study. Oh, yeah, I really love that. Others of you didn't quite catch any of the words I hardly mentioned in passing. Yet some of you maybe love that type of knowledge. Others maybe love Bible facts and Bible knowledge. From Genesis to Revelation, going through the scriptures time and time again in depth, over and over, studying the Bible in its purest form as possible, and spending hours going verse by verse, soaking up the knowledge of Holy Writ. Maybe that's where you are. All those things are excellent, they're good, they're useful for growing in our faith. Absolutely, we should be commended towards those disciplines, those pursuits. All of them good and useful. But, I would argue that they might still fall short in themselves of the one thing, the one thing that Paul says here that really, truly does matter. So, we know what Paul doesn't mean, but what is Paul actually saying then to his brothers and sisters in Corinth? Here's what he's saying. He's saying this simply right here in the first part of this verse. Though there are many good and truthful things I could teach and preach, there is only one, really one thing that matters for me to proclaim. One thing. Everything else is a penultimate proclamation to the one proclamation that I absolutely Must if I have no other time, no other opportunity to preach or proclaim anything else, I must always continually proclaim this one thing. That's what he's saying as he starts in his statement, for I resolved to know nothing. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, the second middle part of verse 2. Specifically, what is Paul saying when, I, when he says, while I was with you? Well, if you focus and understand, of course, the, uh, the root of Paul's missionary journeys, the Apostle Paul is referring to the year and a half that he spent with the Corinthians while he discipled and taught them in the doctrines of grace. We know that to be true, Acts chapter 18, verse 1, and then moving quickly to verse 11. Verse 1, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Verse 11, so Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. So clearly we see Paul is referring when he says, while I was with you to that 18-month period where he was with them and he taught them and discipled and brought them along in their young faith, bringing them and desiring them to grow in maturing in their own faith. Normally, spiritual truth is most effective when it is seen through the lens of a person's life. Let me say that again normatively ordinarily spiritual truth is most effective when it is seen through the lens of a person's life in other words when we're teaching and preaching proclaiming discipling whatever we're doing spiritually with one another and with those around us in this community that is seen that is heard that is understood through the life that is imparting it and so if I were to impart truth to you as I do each and every week, and then the other 167 hours of the week, you saw me sometime here and there on a regular basis, living in direct contradiction, openly and gladly, and with no th- thought whatsoever to anything other than doing what I want to do, that contradicted what I said blatantly. How would you receive what I said every Sunday? Not very well. You wouldn't. You expect there to be congruency between what I say and what I do. Do you not? Go ahead and nod your head. Yes, I do. I know you do. You expect the pastor of the church that you worship at to have a consistency and a congruency. Pray tell, not perfection, but a consistency and congruency between what I proclaim I believe and what I seek to follow and what I actually do. Day to day, week to week. So that expectation extends to all believers, all Christians. We expect, I, guess what, I expect the same from you. Any pastor should have the expectation of his flock that they also would have a congruency between what they say and proclaim they believe and how they live day to day. Paul knew this, and so he said, while I was with you, he knew he had to be with them, live with them. You see, we're most effective in our spiritual life journey when we do it with one another in community and we're imparting truth organically to one another and receiving it as life happens we're going along together we're helping and supporting one another just as the stock shared those things that just in the past few days few hours they've received we also do that daily regularly we should be involved in that way while I was with you Paul says that's what it's about, when we're with one another. with the, the most effective way to share the gospel with those who do not know the risen Christ is by spending time with them. Our lives being shared with them. Not just throwing a track over the fence and hoping they won't mow it over, but going and spending time with them, taking a meal when they're sick, or engaging them, being involved with them. Sometimes I feel like evangelism is, um, I can't remember the TV show now, but it's that show where it's a tool time, whatever, The it was a 30-minute a, a sitcom. And there, I think Norm was the guy. He was the next-door neighbor, and he always, you can never see his face, always from the forehead up. And he would go over, and Tim, the tool man, would always talk to his neighbor. And they always would converse and had all kinds of conversations. But it was always, you never saw the guy's face. It was always to the fence. I think sometimes that's what we kind of do in sharing our faith. It's always through offense. It's, it's not really with those that we need to be with. So Paul says, when I was with you, spiritual truth is most effective when it's seen through the lens of a life. Though God can and does, He can and He does use what I call grenade evangelism. You know, see the Holy Spirit blow something up. Yes, He does that, someone's heart and just brings them. He does that. He did it to Paul on the road to Damascus. Yes, we know this, but normatively, he calls us to be the hands and feet of the gospel and to engage others and live our lives with those who need to hear and see the living message of grace. Though God does use that type of effort, most people are often impacted by exposure to the living Christ as seen in the life of a believer. The good the bad and the ugly. You see, when those outside the faith see your faith, even when it's hard and life is difficult and you're in the midst of very difficult or ugly circumstances, when they even see that, in fact, it's when they see that and the reality of your faith exists in that, that is when even Christ is lifted up more brightly and more clearly Because why? There is a contrast between the darkness and difficulty you're going through and the glory of Christ that sits right next to it. You see that contrast? Whereas if you try to present yourself in a pristine way with your own light trying to overshadow and overpower the light of the glory of Christ, then you have competing lights. But when the darkness of brokenness and our struggle is seen against that contrast then Christ is seen more clearly and those who need him can see him in that light. Paul himself even says in our context, verses 3 and 4, he says, I came to you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. My message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, in other words, not my light, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power while I was with you. Even though I was weak, I was afraid, I was trembling, I was with you, and I shared my life with you. How are we going to change North Cobb County? How are we, Christ Community Church, going to impact Kennesaw, Georgia, Ackworth, Georgia, wherever we live in this nucleus area? How are we going to see it change for Christ? How are we going to see the glory of God become the glory of North Cobb County? It's by day after day sharing our lives with others. Day after day after day after day. Faithfully, living our life abiding in Christ. Living amongst and with those inside and outside this community of faith. And doing so with a desire and an intentionality and a pursuit to see Christ lifted up to see the grace of the gospel imparted to everyone around us. Day after day, sharing our lives, intentionally seeking, watching, being the mouth, hands, and feet of Jesus. So, what is the one thing that really matters? What is it? It's the last words of verse 2. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what matters. That's all that really matters. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Remember, Paul was called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, but he also finds himself in front of a Jewish audience many times. So when he says, I know, need to know, resolve to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What was Paul really saying? What did he mean when he said, know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified? Well as I said, he had an audience, primarily he was called to be the missionary to the Gentiles, but he also at times had a Jewish audience and he had a mixed audience many times. To you and me, the message of what this is saying, Jesus Christ and Him crucified, seems obvious. It's like. Duh, of course I know what that means. It seems clear. It seems simple. It's, it's very much to the point. But to the Jew, listen, to the Jew, the message of Christ crucified was very offensive. And to the Gentile, the message was nothing less than foolishness, you see. To the Jew and the Gentile who Paul was seeking to reach with this message, it was either offensive or absurd. To you and I... No, but to them, Paul faced both complete rejection and offending his audience, or basically being called a man of insanity. So, just stating historical facts would fall short. Paul's not just stating historical fact to the church in Corinth. And he's not calling them to do the same either. Paul had to go beyond just the historical facts and teach his followers to understand the implications of what Jesus said and what Jesus did for them. You see? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul was saying that, and that was a very pregnant phrase, very full of much more than just Jesus died on the cross, was dead, buried, rose again three days later. It's much more than that for those who understood what Paul was saying. Paul not only taught them the reason for Christ's death on their behalf, but also he gave them an understanding of all their spiritual benefits for their soul. What are some of those benefits? What are some of those benefits that Christ and Him crucified bring us? Well, there are many, but just to mention a few, our guilt and shame is removed when we trust in Christ and Him crucified. The guilt we have for all that we have or will do wrong morally against a holy God is removed. The shame for it is removed. Forgiveness for all that we are sinfully is granted to us by the one holy true God. He gives us and grants us forgiveness for that. His wrath against sin, our sin, his wrath is assuaged his wrath is averted and it is no longer pointed with his crosshairs on you or me instead it is moved and now the crosshairs are on the cross it's placed away from us and now we are completely out of its path god's wrath is no longer yours that's amazing so right now as a christian if you follow and you give your heart to christ and you have done so God's not angry with you anymore, ever. You don't have to worry about that. So if you slip up tomorrow or you mess up tonight or you did so when you woke up today, God's not angry with you. He's not wrathful against you ever again. For all eternity, you have right here sitting now the complete assurance that He will ever, never, ever be angry with you. For your sin. That is what he's promised. We've been promised that condemnation is removed. We are no longer judged eternally for what we have failed. How we have fallen short. That's what Christ has brought for us. We've been adopted into his family. Placed in his spiritual family forever. We're now a member of that eternal family. Being part of the church is being part of that family. We're heirs of Christ's riches. His Holy Spirit is given to us for all eternity. You have the presence of His Spirit living and abiding within you. That's the benefits of Christ and Him crucified. And you have eternal security promised to you. That means forever and ever and ever and ever, for all eternity, you are His. He's captured you, and He will never let you go. And you have that security. These are just a few of the benefits that Paul is wanting us to realize. Every year, by way of application here, every year I seek to bring messages in the month of February. Those that have been here in the past few years, you know, seek to bring messages that will encourage, that will redirect our focus and our thoughts towards how we might get behind seeing the gospel spread to all the nations. One of those specific ways we all participate is what we've already mentioned in this service is to participate in a financial commitment on how we might give over and above to see the gospel go out to the nations. Well... Every year, we ask every person in the church to take this whole month and consider how much the Lord would provide through you to support missions over and above your regular giving. Now, for some of you, this may be new, but for some of you, you've been here before. And for some of you, regular giving itself to the Lord and His church is a discipline that is very manageable in your life. It's a discipline you've worked on, and now it's very manageable and You really have not made much effort, though, to grow beyond what is just manageable for your giving. And that might be something this month to consider what faith calls you to, to God's promises. For others of you, you're giving some here and there, but your challenge is to keep trusting God's promise to provide so you will not lose heart and lose focus. So you're growing a little bit, but you need to take the next step. To trust the Lord, even in your regular giving. For others of you, maybe you're not giving anything at all right now. Maybe you haven't been for a while. And maybe your challenge is to step out and trust God's promises to provide for your needs. Even when you don't think you're going to have enough. But trust Him. Trust Him in His promises. Wherever you are in that description of what I just Said Wherever you are, here's my question. What will get you motivated to renew your heart and your hands to take that next step and to give in faith? What's going to do it? Anybody have an answer? Well, I've thought about that. It's probably not going to be this sermon. It just probably isn't. I wish it were that easy. I'd create, a, I'd carve out a sermon, and then everyone would respond to it, and we'd move on. Next thing, please. doesn't work like that. It probably won't be this sermon. It won't be another lesson. It won't be another Bible study that's going to get you to take that step of faith to move, to do something about what you feel and believe in your heart, convinced you should be about. It probably won't be memorizing more Bible verses about giving or tithing. The Word of God is sharp than any double-edged sword. I know that. And you can memorize it, and you can hide it in your heart. But for some reason, it does not connect to actually giving and supporting and making those hard decisions at times. It probably won't be just hearing someone else testify about what they had God provide for them. We love to have testimonies of how God provides. How many times, how many testimonies have you heard about someone else's provision that God gave them? And you sit there and think, that's good for you but not for me. It probably won't be another crown or financial peace study that you've been through either. That's going to get you to finally do what you need to be doing. Hopefully I have adequately painted a very bleak picture as to what will not motivate you. Right? It's true, somewhat though all those things, maybe in your life, God has used to help grow you and continue to grow you. And I don't discount them. And believe it or not, we're going to do all of those things continually still. But I don't think that's the one thing that really matters that's going to move your heart from where it is to that place the next step. What will do it then? The only thing that really will do it is what really matters is that you truly believe Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the only thing that's going to do it. I can't convince you of that. All all I can do is share with you what I know will change your heart and will move you towards obedience in the Lord's desires for your life in all areas of life. Is Jesus Christ and him crucified knowing trusting loving embracing depending on the crucified risen Christ completely abandoning everything else in your life except this one truth Jesus Christ and him crucified will change your very life daily Trusting in what he's done and his promises and leaning wholly and fully on him every single day, every encounter, an opportunity where something is difficult or hard or you can't see past it or you have no hope, you've completely given up. The only thing that will truly change, the only thing that matters, everything else does not matter. You have to understand, nothing else really matters except Jesus Christ and him crucified for you. For you, not for someone else sitting next to you, but for you. Do you really believe it? For yourself, for your heart, do you embrace it truly? Those who turn the world upside down for Jesus only do so when he is all that matters to them. That's the only way it happens. You don't turn the world upside down. God doesn't use you to turn the world upside down for him as a casual endeavor. As a sidetrack, as an option, check B. That's not how it happens. It is laying it all out there, completely trusting Him, giving yourself wholly to Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Power, prestige, reputation, affluence, or influence. Lifestyle or money, none of those things can truly matter to your heart. It only can be one thing. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Everything that that means for you. All that that means for you every single day. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what really matters to us? What matters to you?